It's the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. We have the most special guest. I say it a lot, but tonight, Terry Benedict, who is an award-winning producer. Hacksaw Ridge, yes, it was nominated for a slew of Oscars. It won two for Best Film Editing and Best Sound. So, uh, really amazing movie, people talking about it. We want to get into it because it touches across all different lives, not just uh, for Christians. And first of all, um, you're probably exhausted. Welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's such a blessing to have you. I mean, this has been a whirlwind starting from really age 10 and as far as your connection to Desmond Doss who you know the movie was Hacksaw Ridge was um, after uh, what has your life been like in the last uh, I guess 48 hours or 72 hours well it's it has been a long journey since I was 10 and I think what the Oscars uh, sort of meant to me was not so much on the the recognition or the accolades, but it was for me the end of a very, very long journey, and one that I, you know, I had worked really hard with Desmond when I developed my relationship with him and made him promises that I would protect the integrity of his character and the essence of his story, and and so I think that uh, it was great to get the recognition. I was super happy for Mike uh, Kevin O'Connell, our our sound mixer, mm-hmm. who really had. They called him the Susan Lucci because he had been nominated yeah. 21 times. Oh my goodness! And this time he finally, you know, got the nod. But um, and John Gilbert, who's an extraordinary editor as well. Uh, but uh, it just it just was kind of one of those uh, crossroads that came up or benchmarks in my life's journey that said, okay, this journey is finally come full circle and complete so i'm very happy about it oh of course and a lot of people were too and they're rooting for this movie now it's really amazing though your connection because in a way he was almost like uh, a surrogate dad i mean at 10 years old you don't have television your parents made a decision no tv so you were a voracious uh, reader and and then you come across this book what was the name of the book that uh, about desmond doss yeah it was called the unlikeliest hero Yes, and you're reading about a man who obviously carried no weapon and is uh, in the Army, a conscientious objector, and uh, really just, it's amazing how things have come full circle, how it touched your life. It actually built an ethic for your life. Can you talk about that? Well, Desmond had a real passion for youth and helping them uh, set their moral compass uh, on a journey that included a faith aspect to it. And what he really wanted kids to understand uh, was that no matter how tough life may get for you, that if you were living a faith walk, that your faith could and would always carry the day. And so that really meant a lot to me. Uh, when I met him, when I was about 12 years old, a couple of years after I read the book, I met him at a church uh, summer camp. And, uh, and then I really came to know him in the late 90s. Uh, and that's where our relationship really deepened. Yeah, because, I mean, a story like this must have gnawed away at you in a, in a beautiful way and changed your life. And so uh, are you surprised even after all these years, I mean, it just uh, that you would share this, um, this not only the ethic and this Christian ethic of how Desmond Doss has changed your life, but to share that with the world? Well... Like doing the documentary, uh, the conscientious objector, 
uh, I did the voiceover in that. It was the last element to fall into place because I never intended or wanted to do a voiceover on the documentary. But a couple of close friends of mine, including Richard Wank, who wrote uh, the Equalizer uh, movies and um, and uh, Magnificent Seven, Jack Reacher, uh, told me when he saw my rough cut, he said, "You have to do the voiceover." I said, but I don't want to do the voice, or I hate my voice. <laughs> I don't want to do it. <laughs> he said, but it's your journey. He said, you're different four years later from from where you started, and it's your, you, you know, you, there's this element that's just your story. And so, so with great reluctance, I did that. And at the end of the the doco, I say that I know Desmond changed the world because he changed me, and hmm. and it's, it was really a poignant part of acknowledging that Desmond had rubbed off on me and he's like he's rubbed off a lot of other people thousands of other people through the through the decades so so I was very honored to to know him and to to commit and promise him that I would do a story justice and to, then to meet the great team of people put that together uh, so that we could do a feature film as well you better believe it and it's amazing i understand uh for almost 60 years that uh, desmond doss turned people down because he was afraid that they you know hollywood and everything that they would make it about the glory of man instead of the glory of god and you made a promise that you would once again you protect that integrity and uh, there comes mel gibson into the picture where you know he's a believer and he takes the seriousness of of war and focus in on that and also faith and so um i mean that was really some combination huh yeah i you know i made this promise to desmond i'll i'll answer to god first you second and everybody else can get in line which is a pretty big promise especially when you're going into you know hollywood to to make a film and and so i started talking to various studios and, and production companies and producers and I met uh, Bill Mechanic, who was the former president of 20th Century Fox, over the castaway Titanic days. And he had known Mel for quite some time, going back to Braveheart. And he asked Mel almost right off the bat, and Mel wasn't good timing for him. And so uh, Bill really championed the film for the next decade. And Mel came back around and accepted uh, a couple of years ago. And that's when we really took off and got the green light. I was very mm-hmm. happy that Mel came on board. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's funny because you know, Andrew Garfield, who you know was nominated right. for for the lead, but I understand Casey Affleck was going to be considered even, and then before he kind of around the same time found uh, Manchester by the Sea. I found that interesting. Well, because we had been in development for so long. We actually had a timeline problem because actors would age out. You, you know, Desmond mm-hmm. needed to be in his uh, early 20s when his, this part of the story in his life took place. So, so I, I think that Andrew came along at the perfect time, and Mel was was the perfect filmmaker. Uh, he's extraordinary, and he needed because he was a faith-based person, uh, very passionate, obviously, as we all know. He threaded this needle of of I know people talk about the graphic nature of the film and all of that but but the story's about a medic who cleans up the carnage of what happens to the human body out on the battlefield and so you 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 really had to have some meat there to appreciate what Desmond's what Desmond did and what his hero, his, his heroics were and uh and so 
uh, it was a tall order to, to film mm-hmm. and make it believable, and Andrew committed 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I understand, you know, can we make it PG, Mel? <laughs> you know, PG-13? Not a chance. I mean, this is a serious war issue here, and uh, it's that combination, really, which was gold for, uh, you know, for you, the studios, uh, to be able to really get into the faith part of it. It's really people trying to figure out, is this a, a war story? Is this a story of faith? Or what kind of... And um, that right there i think is where you got some buzz yeah it's it's not a war story in my mind it's like this triple love story of of desmond uh serving and loving his god and desmond loving and serving the men and desmond loving and serving his wife his new wife and and really showing that no matter what aspect of his life he had this innate unconditional love of serving others first and worrying about himself last absolutely i mean there's the witness right there and for so many people and that's his legacy with people who you know we don't understand a lot of the world doesn't understand the ways of jesus you know they hated him and therefore they're going to hate us and so i mean what an amazing story where how he changed the people's hearts you know some of the generals or some of the army people and uh some of the people he he went to war with that they were opposed to him not understanding his faith in jesus christ and then all of a sudden trusting him with their lives right and and that's the that's the biggest message that when Desmond and I originally were talking about doing this, that we both wanted to get out there. That was one of the major themes I told him of why I thought his story would be of such value to everybody in the world. And that was, no matter how tough it gets, uh, that if you serve God in a, in a loyal, fiercely loyal way, that, that you can make it through. And, and Desmond, by the way, didn't come out unscathed. He, he was wounded, but he also uh, the army. The army uh, gave him too many antibiotics because he had contracted uh, TB and hmm. deaf. So he was deaf his whole adult life, basically. And he was never vengeful. He was never angry. He was never bitter. He never told the guys, "You guys should have listened to me. I told you I could deliver." He never came back at them in any sort of way uh, he said the, the most you could get and if you see the documentary I, I think that we talk about this actually mm-hmm. where Desmond would say you know what they just didn't understand and it's true they just didn't understand well let's go back to that because when you look at understanding this man again Desmond Doss I mean hearing over the radio okay there's an announcement and uh, people need blood and uh, how does how does a kid even you know unless they're stirred up by the by the Lord go three miles walking to give blood and then he hears it again on the radio another day and he goes again um it's he was i guess meant to be this type of man well that's an attribute for his mother his mother really impressed upon him that if you're going to call yourself a christian then that means you need to have christ-like attributes in how you serve your fellow man and that means you have to put others first and put yourself second and so somehow he bought into that and uh and he lived it and so there were no second thoughts about well really should i walk four or five miles the second time around i was just yesterday i gave blood that's (laughs) enough you know he doesn't think he didn't think like that um so so yeah that happened at a very early age and i think that goes to the power 
and the influence that parents have, especially when you teach your kids principles early on, like at the age of two or three, mm-hmm. they they can take ownership of that. And you're right, the spirit can come in and then <clears throat> work and mold, help mold those children in ways that those principles will stick with them for the rest of their lives. And I, I think that goes back to that proverb of train up a child the way you should go and later on he's not going to depart from it and i think desmond's a living example of that absolutely and one thing that uh, both you have in common both being seventh-day adventists and so i know that it was a summer camp that uh, you were 12 and you met him and uh, his heart was really changing the lives of youth primarily i know that it was mentioned you know you could change well a lot of people would be affected by your story but he he kind of zeroed in on youth yeah, and I, I think he realized the importance of what I was just saying about if, if these principles can be embedded early on, that kids are more likely to be able to hang on to that and rely on it in ways that uh, life has difficulties at, at various points. And I know with my kids, they're 14 and 16, uh, I've, I've tried to teach them uh, those principles early on from the age of two and uh, and and it's worked for um, y- you know they're not perfect by any means but but you know the I've, I saw the effects just from being around Desmond and my kids still remember him they were just toddlers when he passed away they were four and six hmm. and uh, they still remember vividly because of the way he treated them the way he talked to them and he was very principled. He yeah. was very impressionable. Yeah, I like the way that the Ten Commandments are kind of like front and center. I mean, that used to be a real big uh, ethic in society. And uh, and there it is, you know, made an impression where his mom had the Ten Commandments in a big picture frame. Uh, we don't really talk about that anymore, but we're talking about it thanks to Hacksaw Ridge. Well, again, uh, in, the, in the movie and Hacksaw, there was a creative decision made that when uh, Desmond, you know, hit his brother with a rock, and that's not the way it really happened, but it was to make a physical point uh, in in the in the story. How how it really happened was Desmond would would crawl up on the couch. He actually would get in trouble for putting his feet on the sofa, and and he would stare at that that one particular little vignette. Of Cain, of Cain standing over Abel with that club, and he could never reconcile the math of how a brother could be so mean to a, to his own brother and kill him, and and that that really set that one image set in him that he would never kill. There were a couple of incidences that happened, like his uncle got drunk one night, and his he and his the uncle and his father started to fight, and one pulled a gun, and Desmond. Uh, came in and got the gun away and went out and that gun disappeared never to be seen again and uh, the way we portrayed it in the film was uh, a little bit differently but the the event was still basically the same in terms of the impact on Desmond so oh it's an amazing story I mean let's talk location 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 as they say right in the film world <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. we're going to Australia isn't that where a big part of this movie was made yeah, that's not exactly where I envisioned it happening. Uh, but uh, there were there were some good reasons for that. One of them was Screen Australia helped fund the film, uh, and uh, and so we needed to 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 
as a result filmed down there including post-production everything happened down down there but it turned out really well in fact the the, the cliff that we call hacksaw ridge a uh, nice location was found for that and um and uh we carved the battlefield out of uh, very green pasture pastoral land that was very very beautiful uh and it was going to be later turned into a housing development so what we did was just sort of some prep work for the excavators well you know something terry i want to ask you if this is correct or not you know i understand that at the beginning that you wrote a script and you handed it in you know for hacksaw ridge yeah um i just was coming off the documentary and uh at the time all of the guys were still living except for three that one passed away a couple weeks after i actually interviewed him and uh and with that many people involved we were trying to figure out logistics as well as you know story rights and all kinds of things that you know complicated so i wrote a, a draft to try to work around some things and it, it was it was totally a different frame of reference than where I really wanted to go and and, and I and where you know Bill wanted to go. So by the time we got around to uh, having some options available to us, all of the men had died except for two that were ancillary hmm. that didn't you know need to be in the story. So so uh, um, Robert Shankin came on board, Pulitzer Prize winning writer, and. Uh, very good. And then Andrew Knight came on to do his polish. And in the, between that, actually, Randall Wallace, who wrote Braveheart, uh, came in and did a, a rewrite as well. So, so there were a number of writers on the project. And, uh, but that again speaks to this length of time that, you know, we went through development. So. It was a long process. Well, you know the characters, I mean the real characters, you know, in the Desmond Doss's life, and including Desmond Doss. And so uh, I understand that his son, after seeing Andrew Garfield portray, said, you nailed it. I mean, that's my dad. You did it. And so, I mean, that's the whole purpose of a film, you know, telling a great story, making it all come to life. And so they have Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn and, you know, Andrew Garfield, Sam Worthington. Um, how did it all come together kind of as a team? And you, you just, you ever wonder, did we get the right person or do you, you just knew these guys, it all works? Well, Andrew, uh, well, first of all, I was at the, at the LA premiere. Des Jr. was there and we were all on, on the stage taking a bow, so to speak. And, and Andrew, did uh, when he met Des Jr. I was right there, and Des said, "Yeah, that that he really nailed it." I think that's a large, large part due to the fact that before we started filming, I brought Andrew down to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Desmond lived his whole adult life on Lookout Mountain above Chattanooga and is buried at National Cemetery there, and. He had time to reflect, and I wanted to immerse him in everything Desmond, since I'd known Desmond so well. And he wanted to take ownership of the role. And the way to get that done was to do the homework. And so we talked a lot about Desmond. I did, we did a road trip up to Lynchburg, Virginia, and spent some time there and went to Desmond's boyhood home, walked on the tra train tracks behind the home down to the trestle where Desmond used to put pennies on the rail and watch the trains go by and flatten them. And, uh, and then we saw the, took him to where the woods, uh, and the shortcut where he would give blood. And, uh, it, and 
but more importantly, I mean, we talked about gesturing and accents and things like that. But the most important thing, the work that I, I feel like we did was giving him a chance to ask a lot of questions about Desmond's thought processes. And, and like one example would be more relevant today than back then. But, you know, if somebody, if somebody cuts us off, what's our first reaction? And, you know, get him back. Desmond's first reaction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so, and so there was just a lot of what if, what if he was in this scenario? What, what did he think about this or that? If, if something like, you know, something happened, you know, that went sideways on him, how would he react? Would he get angry? How, you know, how did all, all that work out? And the reason that's important is, is because when you're working on your character and developing how you're going to perform and interpret that uh, character, uh, the thought process, uh, helps you develop uh, believability in terms of, of going through the transitions of different emotions, which is why when you see Haxon, see Andrew's performance, you, his face is so expressive. You can read his mind, and you can read his mind because he's going through that thought process that Desmond went through, and that's what makes his performance so authentic. Mm-hmm. So, when you, so when you see, if you saw the documentary... And then you see Hacksaw, you would see almost a seamless transition from the real Desmond to Andrew's performance. Mm-hmm. And then the documentary name, once again, The Conscientious Objector. Objector. Yeah. I'm, and won a slew of awards, you know. I'm from Long Island, New York. I even Long Island gave right. praise. You know? <laughs> right. I remember that. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a great story. And uh, the thing is that, you know, bringing it and making it happen, I mean, uh, what was your biggest concern in, in getting them? I mean, you get Mel Gibson, you get uh, you know Andrew Garfield, once again Vince Vaughn, Sam Worthington. But what were, what was your biggest concern in making this film? I I didn't really have one because yeah. <laughs> all of all of the concerns that it go into to making a film and and you know Mel has a standard of excellence that that I agree with and. Uh, uh, all of the actors that you listed, they were all committed. In fact, Mel showed the documentary before filming started, so all the cast and crew, all sitting together, got the same launch pad, uh, a kickstart from the same launch pad that uh, we all obviously already knew about. And it, it really helped uh, cement people together and know what the mission was. So... So I know people sometimes hear about stories of dynamics and how difficult it is to make the film and, and weather was a challenge for us at various times and whatnot. But when you have everybody working towards the same goal, we're talking several hundred people. Hmm. Uh, it makes it uh, a, a very intricate, sophisticated dance that gets done. But, but you know, it came off really well, and that's thanks to Mel's leadership. Yeah. Let's talk about that, because you've been in the industry for a long time. I mean, you really have. And so what's it like working with him, and how does he bring life into the project? Because obviously he's a man of faith, okay? But uh, what is that level of excellence, and how did you see the progression of this film come to life in the hands of Mel Gibson? Well... I didn't get to go down right at first for, for prep. I came down after shooting had already started. And uh, and the thing I noticed right off the bat is you can feel a vibe of whether or not everybody's on the same page. And as soon as I walked on the set, it was it would, there was a peacefulness, an orderliness uh, to everything that was happening, a friendliness. 
and uh, and everybody was super appreciative for the fact that they were working on the film, the film's history, the story's history. Uh, people would uh, some of the people on the crew would ask me a lot about uh, various details and and uh, because the the doc was the frame of reference for everybody. Um, and then, you know, you go out, you know, makeup go off and do its research or costumes or whatever. But still, the heart and soul of the story, you know, came out of there because there wasn't anything else except his Medal of Honor citation. Mm. And that's why I told Desmond, we have to do the DACO because your citation just reads like a big fish story. Nobody's going to believe it after you kick the bucket. And we need to do the consummate, uh, documentary story so that so that everybody will know in perpetuity what actually happened in an accurate way and um and so on hacksaw uh i mean we we had simon dugan was our dp he did gatsby and he's an incredible artist and the makeup and and design the effects we didn't we had to be careful with our budget constraints and so we relied on a lot of the traditional hollywood effects and stunts uh, what we call physical effects and stunts, as opposed to a lot of CGI. We always, you know, of course there was still, you know, a fair amount of green screen and whatnot, but, but everybody worked really hard and gave a hundred percent. And that's why the film came out. And, uh, you know, I, I used to think uh, naively. So when I was doing the documentary, I thought, you know, this, this is going to be, this is going to go so well. It's going to be so smooth because, Desmond was this great soldier for God, and boy was I wrong because, hmm. you know, w- we do have to acknowledge the fact that there's the the yin and yang of the other side of good, and that that doesn't necessarily want good to happen and throws all kinds of challenges in the way. And so, once I once I finally became a believer in the sense that yeah, I already believed in good, but I got to recognize that there are other forces at work. That's when I realized that this story is a very powerful story beyond even what I had imagined because it would be a lot easier just squash us before we get going than do damage control once the film gets out there in mass globally. And, uh, and so I'm very thankful to, to God especially that, that he nurtured everybody along and, and got the film to a place to, to where people could see it all over the world. China was our biggest market. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's huge over there. I understand they actually wanted it go to go longer. They're responsible for having it last longer in the movie theaters because uh, the people in China uh, they loved it. Yes, I mean they they've got restrictions over there, and uh, and so uh, so the the Chinese uh, got approval to from the government to let it run longer and. Of course, we were very happy about that, and uh, I think you know, for me and 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 Desmond, uh, to me, that's the most gratifying part. The awards and and noms and all of that are very, um, you know, are very nice. There's no doubt about it. But the things that gratify me the most, uh, whether it was back from when the doc came out in '04 to or now, is people. They find my email or call me, and they say how much the film has encouraged them and inspired them, and and 
help them fight the, the better fight of everyday life mm-hmm. and rely on their faith. And that's exactly why we made the film. Yes. I mean, really, telling a purposeful story that changes lives. That's why you've been at this uh, as long as you have. And I know, you know, Terry, the love of Jesus is messy. You know, I mean, we just have to read the Good Samaritan and the Bible. And it really, you could kind of say, okay, you know, there's a picture of Desmond Doss right there with the Good Samaritan, uh, really a medic, if you will, <laughs> you know. Right. And uh, But the love of Jesus is messy because first, you know, the world hates the ways of Christ, not understanding, and this man was such a devout uh, Christian, a devout Seventh-day Adventist, and um, so that that comes out, too, as far as just how messy it could be. Like, why does this person love me when I don't love them? Why do, why do they love me and take care of me, and there's such devotion, and I show hate in my heart, and it's like this, how can I say, chiseling away at people's hearts, the hardness of the heart that doesn't want to see Christ. And it just, I think that was the huge impact that uh, uh, entered this story into the world here. Well, and, and in terms of, it it was not meant to be uh, a denominational piece. It was meant to be sort of the church of, of God yes. um, kind of faith. And I think that <clears throat> in terms of the Adventist aspect of it, and not working on the Sabbath, which also aligns, obviously, with uh, the Jewish faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that there was a gross misunderstanding, and it didn't need to, need to happen. And actually, there was shared responsibility, both on Desmond's part and certainly the Army's part. First of all, the Army should never have abused him the way that they did. It was unauthorized. Yes. It was actually downright illegal because President Roosevelt had signed an order uh, before Desmond had even enlisted that said, that the army had to allow non-combatants to enlist, and and so De- that's why Desmond went in there. Is he wanted to be an, a co- combat medic? He just didn't want to carry a gun. He didn't want to work on the Sabbath, and this is where the misunderstanding for that aspect of it came in, which is simply this: that Desmond, and I'll put it in the context or a, or, or analogy of, of a doctor. Um, a, a, a doctor goes to medical school, and if this was Desmond, he would not have wanted to go or wouldn't have gone to medical school on the Sabbath. But when he became a doctor and somebody called him on Sabbath and said, hey, there's an accident down the road and they're in an emergency, we need you to come down and perform surgery, Desmond would have would have hightailed it down there and been the first one in the operating room. And the reason is, is because he said, as Jesus said, it is right to do good on the Sabbath, and that's serving. So it's not working and going to school, it's serving, doing what he is supposed to do. And that's the simple, and it may sound to people like it could be legalistic or splitting hairs. It's not. It's, there's a very big difference for somebody like Desmond to articulate the difference between those two things. And that gets down into the weeds in terms of what, you know, what, Desmond's, what Adventism meant to Desmond, but... It's something that's important because what the Army learned out of all of this and what the teachable moment is for all of us even today is, is is that we we don't all come out of the cookie cutter looking the same Mm -hmm. or believing the same. And yet, we need to be more tolerant and quit jumping to being so judgmental on everybody just because they believe a little differently or even a lot differently because Desmond proved that with a willing spirit, 
everybody can work towards the greater good. And and that's really uh, another theme that I know we both wanted to see that get out into into the story, yeah, so, and out into the world for that matter. Terry, I'm trying for like the last two minutes not to say Amen, Amen. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> preach, Terry. <laughs> it's, I really, I mean, I'm totally with you. And uh, at every step away, you know, in the documentary, uh, what was really amazing is that he, really this witness, this testimony, and uh, of his faith in Jesus Christ changed people. I mean, the Jewish man who was, uh, you know, head over him. I don't know if he was the uh, sergeant or. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah that's the medical major over him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like everybody seemed to kind of at first they were fighting, and then and then uh, people who were opposed to him said even during a big time in the war that we're going to wait, we're going to wait for Desmond to finish prayer and finish reading his Bible. And I mean, only Jesus could make that kind of impact. That's like reminds me of Daniel, you know, in the right. scriptures. Right. It's really, I mean, you could say that's kind of part of Hacksaw Ridge, too. And yeah, like, uh, it's it's amazing all the different parts of Scripture that uh, um, characterize this man and his faith. And uh, so, um, just want to ask you, though, because, I mean, this is an amazing story. And a lot of people, no doubt, their hearts will, will be open to the Lord because of it, you know. Let's let's just get down for just a second. The glitz, the glamour, there you are in the Oscars. What was that like? Well, it's 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 a huge event. Um, uh, I uh, posted a couple of pics up on my Facebook account, and the the security getting in there alone was epic. Uh, <laughs> if anybody knows L.A., they understand how busy L.A. streets are, especially in Hollywood, and they they had that blocked off for more than six or seven blocks um, where nobody could get in or get out. But um, I, you know, it's such a it's it's such a celebratory event that that everybody's there to have a good time and uh, the sea of press and whatnot. It's a beautiful theater uh, there, the Dolby Theater, and um, and it's it really is a time that uh, coalesces into um, one year of of Hollywood making films, and it obviously has a long tradition. All that. It's funny, last week I was doing a radio interview on a faith-based channel, and uh, they asked me, they said, well, are you guys going to get up there and do a lot of politic talking? <laughs> don't people realize we don't like that, and we know we know what's really going on in Washington or whatever? And, and, you know, I told these people, I said, listen, what you guys need to realize is, I said, the circle of people that I run around in, and I have my own nonprofit, that I started uh, to deal with some, I think, some pretty big issues. And I said, we care about issues, you know, like for me personally, human trafficking, sex trafficking, including especially in Nepal and Native American education, the abuses that have gone on there, and a lot of addiction uh, recovery issues. And, and, I, and I was telling them, we care very much about those those issues that they shouldn't even be political and I don't view them as political I said I can't speak to people that you know want to talk about the politicians but you know we're people that that do want to do good out there in the world and and so we just try to 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 get that message out there of I mean I guess the best way I, I put it to them was when when my sisters and I would get into trouble sometimes growing up, my dad used to say, what kind of world would it be 
if everybody behaved just like me. Hmm. And, and we'd walk away feeling guilty and ashamed, you know, yeah. and uh, wishing we had gotten a spanking instead, probably. Um, and I think about Desmond's behavior, that if we all acted like Desmond, what kind of world would it be? And that's, to me, the essence of our responsibility and accountability for, for taking up airspace on this world is we should be able to reach out. Desmond wanted people to know that it was important to serve others before serving yourself. And we essentially, he understood before Gandhi ever came around that be the change. And, and that's what this message in the film is it's there. We don't beat people over the head with it, but if we all acted like Desmond, this world would be an incredibly different place. Oh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, you'd appreciate this more than ever that, you know, Hollywood wants to make successful movies. You and many other people want to make successful films that tell a good story. You know, and this did both. So it wasn't just about, you know, how much money did it make, and it did very well. It's still doing well. Uh, But you know, a purposeful story is why you got into the business to begin with. And, and this story, well, in Hollywood, let's say has legs, <laughs> but also, you know, through the spirit of Christ, it uh, it's a legacy that will live on for a very, very long time. And uh, so I mentioned that, and you were at the Oscars, but was one of the pictures there, your mouth open when they mentioned uh, La La Land at the end? And what was that like? <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, when when Warren opened the envelope, it there was obviously it looked at first like he was milking the moment. Yes. But then it became really obvious that there was something wrong, and he just didn't know quite what to do. And then what what people couldn't see that was uh, off camera. Uh, once the La La Land producers and team went up there, there was a woman coming out from the side uh, with another envelope, the real envelope. And there was there was a there was a lot of confusion over on that side and trepidation about how to even get to the microphone. It seemed like, but it was unfortunate that it, it happened, and uh, it kind of you know, took away obviously from Moonlight's moment. But uh, the producer from La La Land handled it in a in a very classy. I way. thought so. Very difficult, yeah, and did a terrific job passing the proverbial baton, the trophy, over to them and. But and I think again it goes to show that that a lot of times we get ripped, you know, in Hollywood for being so far out on the left side or whatever criticism people lay on us. But there's some really great-hearted people, including great Christian filmmakers, out there and um, that are working to to put out a good film product. And and that's that's what I'm intent on uh, going from here in the projects that I'm developing is to. Uh, tell more of these kinds of stories that are very inspirational, that will encourage people, and also entertain them as well. Well, God bless you, Terry Benedict, because I mean you changed so many lives thanks to, well, I thank God for you because the story made an impact from a very early age in your life, and it continues to be impactful all across Hollywood, all across the world. And, uh, and may I ask one last question? What are you working on in the future? Are you allowed to tell us? Well, I'm not allowed to totally tell you, but <laughs> but um, but uh, there. Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. Um, there's a couple of uh, stories where I'm I'm working on one. It's a social justice story. That's a case of innocence that a man 
uh, was wrongly accused and convicted of a capital crime and had four execution dates and they finally executed him but when he was executed he died literally in a most Christ-like way uh, forgiving and blessing the executioner and, and everybody around him very inspirational story and uh, and then uh, I've, I've got a film that's a, a period piece that's an inspirational story about a true story um, of a coming-of-age picture, kind of a stand-by-me meets Last of the Mohicans. So I'm pretty excited about both of those especially. Yeah, I guess you never know like what story and how it's going to affect you, but when you know it, you know it as a producer, right? Well, I have to tell you, the, the period piece, because, because I was such a voracious lead, uh, reader, as you said earlier, um, I read I read this book when I was uh, again very young. I was about nine years old actually when I read this book. So, <laughs> so I'm going to try to resurrect yeah. it. <laughs> oh my goodness, you have a lot. I mean, but from an early age though, it's uh, it you know, uh, it's it, I'm glad that all these things kind of stuck with you early and you just kind of worked it out, you know, through through life. Uh, so two Oscars, one for best film editing and for sound. We're talking about Hacksaw Ridge and we're with one of the producers, Terry Benedict. And who are the other two? Uh, Bill Mechanic, uh, who is our primary producer and David Permits, the one that introduced me to, to, uh, to Bill. Yeah. And we got once again, Andrew Garfield, Vince Vaughn, Sam Worthington, and of course, award-winning director, uh, Mel Gibson and... Just to let our audience know, there's a DVD set out, and can you tell us just a little bit about it and where they can get it? Well, the the Hacksaw DVD set is there's a there's a lot of behind the scenes. There's a making of uh, what it took to get the film going and, and underway while we were making it. And uh, so for those that like to see all that behind the scenes, that that makes it worthwhile. Of course, they can uh, do the VOD video on demand now. And you can rent or, or choose to purchase that as well. And then the documentary, uh, I don't actually have a date of when the Blu-ray version of that, but if they want to uh, watch it, uh, standard def stream it, they can watch it off of uh, Amazon. Yeah. Thank you so much for making this film. And you don't have to. I'm putting you on the spot. But uh, there's so much war in this world and conflict. And uh, I don't know if you'd want to pray for um for peace i mean the story that you have with hacksaw ridge is really about unity so if it's in your heart to do it you know certainly will lead us in prayer we'd appreciate it sure um lord thanks for the chance to come on uh michael's show and um, i hope that uh the listeners will be encouraged and inspired and i also hope that uh that will get uh, everyone working in the same direction to serve each other first and bring about more peace all around the world. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And for putting this story together that is about the love of Jesus Christ, we thank you once again. Thanks for making this movie, Hacksaw Ridge. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on your program.